Well, good morning. My name is Father Aaron Damiani, and I'll be preaching from Ephesians 3 today in our series, Who Are You? Who Are You? Recovering Our True Identity and Purpose. We've been exploring what it means to be united with Jesus Christ. And we've, we've looked for the last six weeks at the reality of being united with Christ. It has the power to, to, to define us. It has the power to change our life, not only now, but for all eternity. When we're in Christ, we become something different. We receive uh, a deeper and more beautiful and soulful identity than the ones we have before we're united with Christ. We become his treasure. We become his fullness, which means we share in the fullness of his great victory to redeem the world. We become his workmanship, a display of what he can do in broken situations. We become his family. We become a, a display of, of what he can do with people who formerly were enemies or who were formerly ethnically divided. He can make them into family. We also become his display of wisdom, as we talked about last week, that whether it's our strengths or our weaknesses, everything about our life can display what we call the wisdom of the cross, which is God's strength and weakness. That's ours in our union with Christ. And we've come to a turning point here in our series six weeks in because our text is a turning point because it's, it's a prayer from the author of the letter. He's a pastor. He's a church planter. He's a man of God, and he wants his readers, including us, wasn't just for the Ephesians church, it was also for all the churches in Asia Minor, all the churches forever and ever, amen. This is a prayer that he prayed for them to begin to see, to begin to own what was true in their union with Christ. I know that the text, uh, or the, uh, the title of your sermon says, you are Christ's temple, and that's true, and we'll talk about that later, but right now, I'm going to retitle the message, which is a pastor's prerogative, <laughs> Closing the Gap is the new title. Closing the Gap, because there's a gap, right? There's a gap between what we, what we hear about, the beautiful truths that we hear about, and what we experience. What we intuit might and could be true and, and, and what, we're, what we're living, what we've owned, what we've internalized. And so Paul's prayer in our text today, and my prayer as your pastor, is that the gap would begin to be closed. So that we can begin to see the resources that we have in Christ. The ballast that we have in our personal setbacks or achievements the bond that we have with Christ's global multicultural family, the cure that we have for our mortality and guilt and sin, the identity that we have, the true purpose for our life. This beautiful and precious reality is not just an idea, it's not just a head game, it is for you and it's for me. And it's my prayer and it's Paul's prayer that it would become more of your identity and more of your lived experience and the actual gravitational center of your life. Maybe you have never said yes to your union with Jesus Christ. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. 
or maybe you have any, some other kind of religious background, but you've lived apart from Christ for most of your life. Maybe you have zero background in Christianity or any other faith. By the end of the sermon, I want to make clear to you what it would mean for you to begin to say yes to this union with Christ. You can say yes this morning, and it can be yours securely forever. Maybe you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're aware that you could live more deeply and fully in this reality of your union with Christ. Because maybe you've hit a wall right now, and the old paradigms have not or stopped working. You used to connect with God in these certain ways, but these certain ways don't work anymore. So you've hit a wall, and you're feeling disconnected from Christ. Maybe you're in a season of doubt. Maybe you've questioned everything you've ever believed. You feel like maybe it's not true. Maybe you're questioning yourself. Maybe you're not worthy of it. Maybe, you've never, maybe you're not truly in Christ. In any case, whatever your, your background might be, um, if you're a Christian, there might be a significant gap between what you hope to be true and what feels true. Is there a gap in your life? Because by the end of this sermon, I want to make it clear about how to be refreshed in your union with Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be refreshed in it. You know it's already yours or you hope it's already yours, but this is for you to be refreshed. So how do we receive or recover our true identity as God's son or daughter who is united with Jesus Christ? God's true son, God's true daughter, fully united with Jesus Christ. How can that become a life-giving reality for us tomorrow morning? That's what Paul is praying for, and that's what I'm praying for. We're going to talk about three different ways to move into or receive for the first time our union with Jesus Christ. Number one, we're going to talk about receiving the blessing of the Father. Receiving the blessing of Jesus' Father and our Father. Number two, we're going to talk about relying upon the power of Jesus, which is in you. And I say that both individually and plurally. It's in you individually, and it's in y'all as the church. The power of Jesus. How can we begin to trust and operate in the power of Jesus? Number three, we're going to talk about raising our expectations for God, raising our vision of what God can do. So many of us do not yet have the vision or we've lost the vision. It's so easy to lose the vision of what God can do. But this is so central to operating in our union with Christ. Now, these are not three easy steps, okay? Although it is easy to say yes to Jesus, these are not three simple steps. It's not a to-do list that God is angrily waiting for you to check off in your life. These are more like three dance moves, for you to learn. And as any of you who have done any kind of serious training in dance, you know that, that really becoming skilled in dance requires a, a kind of submission. It requires practice. It requires an internalization, a muscle memory, as it were, of what good dancing might be. Now, I'm not going to show off my dancing training to you right now, <laughs> tempted though I am. Um, but I want you to know that these three things are not only things that you can say yes to 
uh, this morning, and you will immediately be united with Christ. But also there are things that you can live into. There are kind of disciplines, not for the sake of discipline, but for the sake of union. So we're going to look at all three this morning. And it might be, I believe that there's one, one of these for you this morning. Probably not all three, although all three are for us all the time. But I think there's probably one of these that the Lord is calling you to own. One of these dance moves, as it were, one of these truths, one of these, one of these postures that's for you, whether it's receiving the Father's blessing on you, or maybe it's re- relying upon the, the power of Christ, which, is, which, which can be yours, or maybe it's the, just your expectation, raising your expectations of what God can do through you and through his church. So let's talk about receiving the blessing of the Father. You know, the foundation of Jesus' life and ministry was the blessing of his Father. John the Baptist baptized him before he lifted a finger in ministry. And he, he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit rested upon him, and the Father said, you are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. That blessing was a foundation for Jesus' life and ministry. That anointing on his life was not dependent, it wasn't conditional on how well he performed, on how much responsibility he took on, on how many people he healed, on the people that liked him, on the people that didn't like him. It was this unshakable bedrock identity that, he, that was like a banner over his entire life. And whenever he began to get, become weary, whenever he began to be expended, do you know what Jesus did? He withdrew from his ministry. He withdrew from the external connections that he had. He withdrew even sometimes from his own disciples to be with who? To be with his father. This great union between Jesus and his father is what he called a father-son mystery, one, one translation of the scriptures, that he then lets us into. He opens the door and he's like, come and learn what this is like. Come and learn what it's like to be in deep communion with my father. Because my father is also your father when I unite myself with you. This is why Paul begins his prayer to no one else but the Father when he prays in this way. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul is submitting himself to the Father of fathers, who has the power to grant an identity to every man, woman, and child, and every family in heaven and on earth. Receiving our true name and our true identity from Jesus' Father is the secure foundation for living in our union with Christ. And for some of you, this is where you need to start. This is your entryway or your re-entryway to begin living in your union with Christ. This is, the be, this is how the gap is going to begin to be closed for you. Because who has the power in your life to name you? 
Who has that, what one person called a robust external agency to come towards you and say, you are fill in the blank. I have a name for you. I've been watching you. I've been, I've been, I've been spending time with you. And I have a name for you. Who has the power to name you? Who has had the power to name you? The person with the authority and the strength to tell you who you are. We all should reflect on how our parents named us, right? The most powerful people, whether they were in our life or not, who has had the power to name us? How have they blessed us? Did you receive a strong blessing from your father? Did you receive a strong blessing from your mother? Did you receive a mixed blessing from your parents? Was it a mixture of conditional praise and enduring criticism? What name, officially or unofficially, did your parents give you? In our home, we have four different pictures, four different paintings, actually six different paintings, but four of them are for our kids, and they're a visual depiction of their names. And sometimes when we're sitting at the dinner table, one of our kids will look at their picture and they'll say, tell me again what my name means. And they're not just talking about the etymology of the vowels. They're talking about the meaning that we imbued upon their life, the banner that is over their heads that we are giving to them as their parents. What does my name mean? Because they want to grow up into that name. They want to grow up into the identity that they have received from someone with the strength and the agency to name them. The person that names us is the person that we bow our knees to and submit to. Now, maybe you think that person should be you. We hear that all the time. I was even noticing all the Super Bowl ads It doesn't matter what it was advertising. Most of the messages were some variation of believe in yourself and be true to yourself. Do you know what the subtle message of that is? Only you can name yourself. Do you really want to be the person who has to name yourself? Do you really want to be able to be on a a sort of a never-ending maze, a journey of finding out who you are simply by observing yourself? Don't you want a loving and good father to look upon you and give you a name that he can see that we often cannot see the truths about ourselves, even the good, but the Father can. You and I, we're too caught up in our performance. We're too caught up in what our peers think of us. In the end, it's too crushing and too tiring to name ourselves. We come to know who we are. We come into right relationship with ourselves when we receive our true name, and only the Father has the capacity to give that to us. So have you received that foundational identity? You know, Chicago is one of the most unlikely, of all the cities in the world, really the most unlikely city to be the, uh, the origini- original city for the skyscraper. This is the city where the skyscraper was invented. Did you know that? And what a city to invent a skyscraper in. Do you know the soil upon which they first tried to build skyscrapers. It's the same kind of soil that's right in front of Lake Michigan. It's swampy and sandy and marshy. A lot of people came to Chicago because of the water, 
but then they had a hard time building buildings for themselves because of the water. And so generation after generation of architects try to figure out how can we build, we could make a lot of money and do a lot of things if we could just build the buildings a little higher. But every time they would try, the buildings would sink. And it took a lot of, you know, what, you know how they figured it out? They had to keep digging until they found the bedrock. They had to dig and they had to dig and they had to find, had to find a way so that they could even work underwater as it were. But once they found the bedrock, sky's the limit. Do you know all the buildings that dot the skyline, that grace the skyline in Chicago are built on bedrock? There's no other way they could stand that tall. And once they found the bedrock, they drilled into the bedrock. They put everything they had in terms of foundation in and on and around the bedrock that is underneath our great city. And that's how the buildings stood tall. And that's how they still stand tall. No matter how many or few compliments you have received as a person, no matter how much your parents were present in your life and able to confer an identity on you or not, no matter how much you've been able to build or accomplish, let me say something also Sexual and physical abuse as a young child, especially from family members, has the power to absolutely destroy and corrode whatever capacity we have to have an identity. But I want to say that in Christ and through the Father, that can be healed for you. That there's actually hope. There is bedrock underneath all of that marshy bog of what people have been able to give you or not give you. Underneath that is a bedrock for all of you to build your identities upon. Whatever has been shaken, whatever has been destroyed can be rebuilt securely forever and ever. Only the Father's blessing can secure you. It's a bedrock blessing. So it is our calling to drill down into that blessing to spend time seeking out, working through all of the history, but drilling down to what our Father has said over Jesus Christ and what through Jesus Christ he can say over you, what he, what he is saying over you and over me. What would it look like to drill for you? Well, for some of you, it means being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means it, when you're being baptized, you are coming under the blessing that Jesus received. And you are receiving it as we pour water over you. The Father's blessing of this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, is spoken over you forever and ever. No one can take it away, not even you. Some of you, if you've never been baptized, I it would be my great honor to baptize you on Easter Sunday. You just let me know through the comments card, which I talk about in the announcements every week, has great spiritual value after all. <laughs> Won't you be baptized? Won't you say yes to Jesus Christ? If you want it, you got it. <clears throat> For others of you, it means spending time in the presence of the Father. Maybe it begins this morning just in going to a prayer minister and telling them, I would like to stand under and receive a fresh the blessing of Almighty God the Father. 
and let the prayer minister pronounce over you what is true, that you are God's beloved son or daughter, and he's well pleased with you, and let them anoint you in the name of the Trinity with oil on your forehead. These physical reminders help us connect with what's true in God. Here are other ways to drill down into the blessing of the Father. Silence and solitude. There's just no way around it. Reflecting on the person of the Father, looking into the face of Christ with an open Bible and an open heart. Father, I need to receive your blessing. It just takes time to sink in. Some of us need to work through the pain of how other people have named us. Maybe this week you're just going to make a list of all the names that have been put on your life. And with the, in the presence of someone who cares about you, a leader or a friend, someone who can pray for you, you begin to name all those names and say, in Jesus, these are not my true name. Some of you need to renounce names that you have said yes to. Some of you need to renounce names that have never been spoken with words, but were only spoken with, with, with the body. They're only spoken against your body. Some of us need to be healed of the names that we have received because they're not true. And it is time to drill down into something that I tell you in Christ is there, and it is the blessing of the Father on your life. And it is a bedrock identity for you forever. Paul mentions that he wants us to be, he's praying that we would know that we're rooted and grounded in love. Two, so it's not just preachers that do it. Sometimes writers of scripture mix metaphors because we're allowed. Preachers are allowed. Writers of scripture are allowed. Rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded. That means that it's organic and that it's also, it's like a building. And this is the vision of what's going to happen to the universe it's going to become the temple of the living God. It's going to be the Garden of Eden, fully restored, but expanded to the entire universe. It's going to be a garden city. And garden cities have roots, and garden cities have foundations. And you are part of that garden city. And you are rooted and grounded in love in Jesus Christ. So, let us receive the blessing of the Father. This is the beginning of the gap being closed between truth and experience of our union with Christ. Okay, secondly, we need to learn how to rely upon the power of Jesus, to rely on the power of Jesus which is in you, which is in me, which is in all of us as the living church. Paul's prayer is this, verse 16, he says, he's praying that according to the riches of his glory, God's glory, God would grant you to be strengthened with power. Power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Remember, it's not just about you. It's, it's about y'all. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When we're united with Christ, Jesus fills us individually and collectively with his spirit. 
we become filled with his spirit, and that spirit gives us power that we did not have before. What kind of power generates your life? How do you make life work? Some of us rely upon the power of our money to make life work. When we're falling under pressure, when we're, when we're feeling needs, we turn to the power of our money to fix the problem. Some of us turn to the power of our body. We turn to the strength that we have in our body or the sexiness that we have to solve problems and to get, get things done. Some of us rely upon the power of our minds to analyze, to be creative, to create. The power of our minds to figure things out, the power even of our intuition to, to read people and to, to work situations. That's the power that we rely upon. Some of us rely upon the power of our connections and our network. We start networking, we start turning to other people and, pulling fa- and getting favors on our behalf to make life work. Others of us turn to the power of our emotions. We, we tap into the power of our anger, the raw anger power, the power of our fear, the, pow- the power of our sadness and the tears and what those do in situations, the power even of our joy. When we feel threatened and when we feel out of control, some of us, we power up, don't we? We turn to the natural things that we can naturally do and we power up in situations where we feel scared. Even just instinctively. We don't even think, of that. We don't think about the fact that we're doing this. But you know what? Some of us here power down when we feel out of control. We go, we go under the radar. Oh, we don't power up at all. We disappear, we get invisible. We hope no one will notice us. That's how we've gotten through in our life. And that's actually our power, the power to disappear. What do you do when you're feeling under pressure? Do you power up? Do you try to control situations through your natural abilities when you feel threatened, when you feel out of control? Do you power down? Do you hide? Do you try to become invisible? What kind of power do you tap into when, when you are in a situation that you most want to control? These are the very places where the power of Christ can begin to work through you in a completely new way. Where all of the powers in your life that you were relying upon become, become joined to Christ and then he can begin to direct them as he sees fit. It means that you have less control, which means that you have less of the illusion of the, because you don't have control. Control is an illusion. But Christ's power works differently. Paul prays in verse 16, okay, according to the riches of his glory, I'm praying that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does it look like for this kind of power? What does it look like to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, through Christ's spirit in your inner being, Christ dwelling in us through faith? Okay, we're tempted to power up or power down. Christ's power is different. It permeates. 
Christ's power doesn't jack you up like you're caffeinated. Christ's power permeates your inner being, your relationships, your workplace, and all the situations where you don't feel in control. He permeates it with his truth. He permeates it with his peace. He permeates it with his power. He works in ways seen and unseen. Some of you, have you ever had a dinner guest over or, or an overnight guest over to your house? And just them being present kind of permeates your entire room, your entire dinner table, your entire house with, with kind of their presence. And you can even feel, sometimes you can see it, sometimes you can't see it, but you can feel and sense and experience what it's like when they're permeating your house, permeating your living room with their presence. If they're a healthy, life-giving person, you don't want them to leave. You're like, oh, this was so much fun. I don't want this dinner party to end. Why do you have to go so soon? Why do you have to leave so soon? This is what it's like when we're united with Christ. His power permeates our emotional life and relationships and situations he's called us to. And we begin to see that he can do things that we cannot do. We, things that we could not do with the ways we power up or power down, he's able to do it. He's able to bring reconciliation, socially, societally even, in ways that we were not even expecting. Whether we feel like it or not, he's not just the background of our life, he's not just the foundation. He's also filling every single part of our life with his creativity, with his help, with his love. Some of you feel close to God here when you gather for worship, but you feel far from God somewhere in the week. Maybe your workplace is especially hostile to you, hostile to the Christian faith. It's just an unhealthy place. There's so many unhealthy, toxic work environments that we find ourselves in. Um, maybe it's a particular person that you just have to deal with every uh, every week, at some point, you have to deal with a family member. You have to deal with a roommate, and they are tough to deal with. And in that moment, you're like, man, the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of my union with Christ feels so far from this situation, from this, from this incredibly messy moment, from this incredibly toxic environment. The truth is that you are in Christ, and if when you are united with him, he will permeate those situations with his presence and with his love. And he will work in ways that you cannot even see. Christ is in you. But it's also important to say that, that you are in Christ. And that's part of his power. He has the power to cover you. He has the power to protect you. Sometimes on the way to church, I have to take uh, my bike. And it's really, really cold. But other times when I get more smart... I choose to take the bus. And I have this powerful sensation on a cold and snowy morning when I finally get on the bus. Um, I'm completely covered by the bus. The bus is taking all, it's dealing with all of the cold, it's dealing with all of the sleet, it's dealing with all the rain or snow and other drivers. I'm in the bus and I'm protected and covered, taken safely to church. When you are in Christ, he's covering you. You're in him. And what he's doing in the world is so much larger than your world. It's so much bigger. It's so much more profound than you are expecting. 
So verse 18 says this. He's praying, Paul is praying, and I'm praying that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? Well, everything that's in Christ. And Christ is the Lord of the universe. He's, he's working all over the world in every hopeless situation. And, and, and whether it's on an individual level or a societal level, he is at work. There is breadth and length and height and depth that you can't even begin to imagine of what Jesus is doing right now in the universe. That's how, that's how immense his love is. That's how immense his power is. That's how immense his protection is. You can never grow out of this. No matter how consequential your life becomes, you will never be too big for Jesus. No matter how hopeless or, uh, or, or how much suffering you take on in your life, you will, never, you, will, you will never be put so low that you are apart from Christ. He is as low as you will go. There's no, as Romans 8 says, there's no place that you can go. There's no person that could come against you that will cause you to be outside of this incredibly immense love of Christ. Every stage of your life, he's there. And it will never go away. As St. Patrick prayed, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ below me, Christ above me. This is the reality of what it means to live in the power of Christ, to begin to rely upon the power of Christ. Friends, powering up individually, powering up together to solve the problems that most trouble us, whether individually or societally, it doesn't work in the long term. It is only the power of Christ working through his church, whether we're gathered on Sunday or scattered throughout through our vocations, where the real power is to redeem our life and the universe. Even as he fills you, even as Jesus Christ fills you with his power, which you begin, can begin to own today, he's also filling the universe with his power, filling the wor world with his power, filling Chicago with his power and love and rule. Before we move on to point number three, it's important to say this. Christ has more power to give you than you are currently ready to receive. Think about that. That's not, I'm not saying that as a judgment. I'm not saying that as a condemnation. I'm saying that just as a fact. It's true in my life too. Christ has more power to give you. He can permeate your life and relationships and work in, in ways that he is not right now, simply because you're not ready. So for some of you, the shift for you in saying yes to your union with Christ, either for the first time or to be refreshed in your union with Christ, is to say, I am going to this week turn aside from the ways I have chosen to power down or power up, and I will say yes to Christ's power permeating my life, permeating my relationships, permeating even the way I'm dealing with the current crisis in our country right now, as it relates to immigrants. How could Christ's power fill your life right now as you engage these hot button topics, as you seek to love your immigrant neighbor, which as your pastor, I wanna say thank you for doing that and I stand with you in that. 
Christ has power for us as the church as we begin to lean in on big issues or personal issues. And for the rest of our life, we're going to have both. Closing the gap means that we will receive the Father's blessing. We will rely upon the power of Jesus, which is in you and y'all. And then, finally, we will learn to raise our expectations, raise our vision of what God can do. Uh, Look at verse 20. Now to him, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What do you expect out of your life? Do you have skyscraper expectations for your life? Of all the different layers of responsibility and connections and love that you're going to take on, do you, you have this desire to really take on great things in your life. Because if you have those kinds of expectations, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying that that can be very, very crushing. That can be very, very tiring. If there's pressure on you individually to change the world in a short period of time, that's just a lot of pressure. Maybe you don't have skyscraper expectations for your life. Maybe you have cottage expectations for your life. You kind of just want a cozy life. You kind of just want a few good connections to be safe, to live in the Shire, to have a garden. to sort of not be in any kind of stressful situations. But those expectations, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but they can be limiting. How do you know that's all God wants to do in your life? Most of us have too high expectations of what we can accomplish in our lifetime. Most of us have too uh, limited expectations for what God could do through our life united with Jesus and his church. Most of us are not even thinking about what God could do in all generations through his church, visible and invisible. Most of us aren't even thinking the impact of our, of our lives on, on, on generations to come. What about five generations from now? Do you know that your life could have a profound impact in God on the generations to come? This is one of, maybe one of the hardest dance moves to learn, one of the hardest disciplines to submit ourselves to in our union with Christ. But listen, friends, you and I um, have a calling as the church. We really do. Do you know what we're called to be as the church? And I'm speaking, maybe you're here visiting from another church. God bless you. This is your calling too. Maybe your pastor would fra- phrase it differently, but it's still true, that we're called to be a spiritual beacon in Chicago. Not only now, but for generations to come. Long after you and I are dead, the church is called to be a place of hope and healing and light where people can know the truth. What is true about me? What is true about God? Who am I really? What am I called to? What's the source of life, not only for me, but for our city? How are we going to be healed in our city racially? How are we going to be healed in our country as it relates to war? 
where do I go for the kingdom of God? Man, the church is here to answer that question. People can come to the church for, for the cure of their souls, for the forgiveness of their sins, for vision for their life, for true identity. Um, in Isaiah 60, uh, the people of God as, as, are, are presented as a source of the light. God is shining his light on the people of God, and the nations stream to that source of light. The, all the nations, all the kings of the earth pay tribute to the great king of kings through the church. Are you ready for that responsibility? Are you thinking about that responsibility? We got to be reminded that this is our calling as the church and that you have an integral, royal, beautiful role to play when your gifts are operational by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about later in the series. You are taking part in that grand undertaking of Jesus renewing all things by the word of his power. Do you want that kind of responsibility? When you're united with Christ, that easy yoke rests upon you and rests upon the whole church. You don't have to be anything except who you are in Christ for you to accomplish that vision because God working through you can do way more than you're even thinking about, than I'm even thinking about. Our prayer life needs to encompass what God is doing around the world. Our prayer life needs to imagine what God could do in Chicago. Our prayer lives need to change the vision for, the vision for what God could do through Emmanuel Anglican Church, through the church in Chicago, needs to shift upward and outward of what the Lord wants to do in our city, our world, our families, and our neighborhoods. To him be glory in the church. To him, to God be glory in the church. Oh, we're not gonna get the glory for what God does. Even if people try, it's gonna bounce off like Teflon because that's not where we get our identity. We don't get our identity in whether people praise or criticize us. We get our identities in Jesus Christ, and then we become symbols of what Jesus can do in the world. God said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. He was speaking of his temple when he spoke those words, and those words have been appropriated through Jesus to his church. Are you ready to be a house of prayer for all the nations? Are you willing to be a pillar in the house of God? Are you willing to become a torch in the house of God, burning with the love of God in Christ? How else will people know? How else will they see? You're not made to be a skyscraper, towering above everybody else having pr proved something, but, but slowly sinking because you can't keep it up. You're not made to be a cottage separated from the life of the world, separated from what God is doing, only concerned about your daily existence. God has more for you than that. The glory of God is in the church which is an amazingly interconnected, beautiful family and temple where he's filling it with his glory, filling it with his life, filling it with his rest, filling it with his identity. And when you say yes to your union with Christ, you say yes to the discomfort of that. You say yes to the calling of that. 
You say yes to whatever way it's going to impact your life. Not because God wants to run your life, he wants to permeate and fill your life and do more through you than you can ask or imagine in your wildest dreams. Not only in your lifetime, but friends, for generations to come. Earlier in this letter, Paul talks about the church being built upon the foundation of the apostles and and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is building an incredibly beautiful house that is growing. It's both organic as well as structural. And when you say yes to your union with Christ, you become an integral part of that house, a very special, unique part of that house. Imagine what God could do in generation after generation through his living and humble church if she were to begin to own her identity in Christ, which would mean her vision of what God could do would be raised. We need to not grow weary in becoming who we are. There's no other way to say this, but it is work to own our union with Christ. It is a free gift, but communion with God involves our whole selves. How could it not? Every friendship, dating relationship, marriage, whatever we're engaged in, it's actually a beautiful and wonderful thing to give our effort out of love. And so what is the Lord calling you to receive today in your union with Christ? Maybe it's receiving the blessing of the Father. Or maybe it's turning from the ways you've powered up to beginning to rely more and more to submit yourself really to the power of Christ which is in you and which, which is in y'all. Or maybe it's beginning to raise your vision of what God could do through your life, what God can do through the church, what God wants to do through all generations. Has your vision been limited because you've been so enamored with what you can do in your life or what you want from your life. I think that there is at least one thing that the Lord is calling you to receive today, whether for the first time or to be refreshed in your union with Christ. Do you need the Father's blessing? Come and get it, it's for you. Do you need the power of Christ's spirit? That's also for you, come and get it, ask for it, ask for prayer. Do you need a grander vision of what God can do through you? That's also yours. Come and get it. Union with Christ means we get all three. And so this morning, let us step under that great baptismal identity that we have. You are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Please stand and let me pray for you. Father, I bow before you now and I ask on behalf of this incredible church that you would begin to help us own our identity in Christ. Would you please close the gap between what we can see and read about in Ephesians and what is true for our life now? We pray that we would begin, begin to see ourselves as you see us, as beloved, as a source, as a recipient of God's pleasure. I pray, Lord, that the power of God in Christ would fill every man, woman, and child here. I pray that you would fill us powerfully together with the Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, would you raise our vision of what you can do? Glory to you, Father. Glory to you in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.